Today's episode was recorded live on October 29th, 2023 at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, where James, Brian, and Tracy discuss the Old Testament and how it is read and used. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to have some help because we're going to talk about a class that we sponsored or or hosted about the Old Testament. Old Testament 101 in 30 minutes. Can you think we can do it? Brian, come and help me. I want to get you all's involvement as well, as I said, and we're gonna talk about the class, and we're gonna talk about the class in this way. You all know that we have a core value called learning and discovery. Right? Uh, learning um, about the Bible, learning about each other, learning about life, learning about this thing called uh, religion and Christianity. Right. So the context is this. The scripture I want to put this class in the context of is this. It's Luke 10, starting, I think, at, at verse 25. And what I call it is the preamble to the parable about the Good Samaritan. And in that, there is a, uh, a studier of the law who approaches Jesus to challenge Jesus. And the question put to Jesus is this, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response to the individual is this, what is written in the law? And here's the key phrase, how do you read it? In that statement is the discovery that we all potentially read the same text different ways. And in Cornerstone, one of the things that is very clear, we all come from different church, religion, backgrounds, and structures, and thinkings about God, theology. And theology, when you're born into it, is an invisible thing that surrounds you like air. You don't even recognize that's what you're in until it's challenged, until someone brings it to you and shows it to you. And so these classes are an attempt to help us see our own individual theologies. And theologies, in my mind, run a full spectrum from full emotion to full logic. What scholars in academia does is to help us to see the scale. And so that's kind of how we structure this class. This is one part of who we are. What is the academics of this thing called religion that we all live in? Does that make sense? You all are looking at me kind of straightforward. As <laughs> I, I, I know I'm trying to take you in class and I'm in. We, Dave, you're looking at me really strange. Oh, the intro. Intro music. Right. Yeah, we, this is also a podcast. This by is also the way. a podcast. You, you all are going to be famous. <laughs> Welcome to Stand at the Table. We are friends and community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. 
We believe the best relationships come when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. Staying at the Table is our podcast that we uh, release every two weeks. So on all your different outlets for podcasts, we have probably over 30 episodes now going back from uh, how, what is our theology at this church, and then different topics that are currently in the Christian world. And so uh, we invite you to avail yourself of that resource so you can see about what we think and hear the thoughts of various members within the church about various topics, right? Yeah, so we thought it was a good idea today to involve all of you in our podcast. So that part will come a little bit later. We'll start off just by setting the table. See what I did there? Um, With uh, some words about the class that we uh, sponsored not long ago on the Old Testament. So yeah, Thursdays, the new podcasts come out. The latest one was our thoughts. We started, when soon as we sat down, we all sort of started talking about the war in the Middle East. And so we said... Let's do a podcast on that. So we did. Uh, So listen to that. It's got some very insightful uh, comments and observations about what's going on there by James Beatty and other people. Appreciate it. So now I got to get back on task. Okay. Brian, help us out. Start us out. What was the context or content of the class on the Old Testament? Well, I started off with a central theme for the, that would cover the entire class, and that is the exile for a number of reasons. The exile is actually a series of exiles that happened historically to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They were divided at that time. First, Assyria took the northern kingdom into captivity and scattered all of those people all around the Fertile Crescent up in Mesopotamia. And to the best of our knowledge, now they're lost, assimilated, the 10 lost tribes, we call them. The Southern Kingdom, a couple of hundred years later, were taken to, uh, in mostly in a coherent group, to Babylon. The uh, city of Jerusalem was sacked, the temple was destroyed. And you have that story in uh, the Old Testament about what happened then when the people of Judah were in exile. The exile shapes a lot of the Old Testament, if not all of it, I think. Uh, You have stories in Genesis, for example, of exile, um, difficulties, tribulations, and then restoration. You have the story of Adam and Eve, which is an exile story. You have the exodus from Egypt in uh, late Genesis in the book of Exodus. It's an exile story where the inhabitants of the land come back to where they were formerly uh, living. Uh, And multiple stories, even uh, psalms, poetry, wisdom literature in the Old Testament has this theme running through it of loss, distance from God, exile, and return. Uh, Just as much literature on restoration and hope as there is in uh, the exile part of it. So very interesting to see the Old Testament from the point of view of what it's like to be 
in exile, to be conquered, overcome, torn from your land, from the things you're familiar with, and from your God, who in those days you uh, assumed that your God was attached to a place as much as to a people. So when your temple is torn down and you are moved to a completely new place, you have broken that relationship with God. And uh, the restoration part of that becomes very important once you're in exile. Thanks for that, Brian. One of the things that you were saying that was, was a two, line, were two lines of thought, slight deviation. So it would be almost as if you were to read a book about African-American history through the lens of slavery in the United States only. So all the rest of African descendant history existed on paper through one lens, and that is slavery in the United States. So when, when Brian talks about when you read the Old Testament, there is all of this content, things about history, things about prophecy, things about law, poetry, but there is a lens to all of that writing, exile. Everything you read of all forms going through one lens. Right, and the writers, compilers, editors of all those stories, all those histories, all of these, some written, some not, that was, scholars pretty much widely agree that that was all assembled and put together with an, uh, you know, a, the purpose of helping to restore the nation of Israel and was all put together around the time of the exile, just before, during, and after. So when you look at Genesis, you're looking at a book that was looked at by people that had been affected by exile and looking back, telling the story in a way that would help their nation to reestablish itself, especially uh, reestablish its national story of how it's connected with Yahweh, their God. Is any of this starting to shake you out yet? So what then, how does that impact how we now then read the New Testament? If that is the lens of the Old Testament, and Jesus refers back to the Old Testament, how are we now then reading the Gospels, the letters from Paul, or any of the things within the New Testament? Yeah, I think you have to understand it as uh, uh, topics for discussion, not necessarily settled doctrine. Um, the way I taught the class was to open some doors to the idea that uh, this isn't something that we take as uh, a rule book or a user's manual, that when we read the Old Testament, oh, there are some laws. Well, we better keep those laws right now, today. And then we start to pick and choose which ones we like and don't like and uh, decide to, you know, forget the rest of them. Um, it's not like that. It, it was written to a specific people, place, and time, specific political and social circumstances. Um, and we can experience those circumstances through the eyes of those people, through the pens of those who wrote it down and preserved those stories and we can learn from that, we can grow, we can discover, we can understand new ways of seeing uh, what it's like to experience a relationship with God. 
but it's not necessarily uh, something that we take at face value and, you know, put it in a list of things we need to do, you know, in order to fulfill our commitment to a religion. So, Brian, you just made a big statement there. You said um, it's not necessarily something we need to do. Cast in stone. I'm a Pentecostal. At least that's where I was born and raised. That's sacrilege. You know what? I, I had a problem when I first heard about this. Back before I was at this church. And so I'm wondering if any of the people who are in the class, I want you to come up here for just a second. I know Dave's here, Kathy's here. Oh, what was kind of the emotional response? Because this is important. I'm, I'm, remember, I'm still trying to take you somewhere. What was your response when you hear a person that is a leader in a church that says some of the laws from the Bible, some of the texts from the Bible is optional? Who, wa- who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> they both pointed at each no, other. No. So just, just the emotion of when you start hearing this, what happens to you? She went to the class because... We drove in one car in the morning. (laughs) She had to go. (laughs) Yeah, so I I can back up because I knew the content of the class. Um, But prior to, you know, going back a number of years, um, this uh, this whole concept of the Bible being, the Old Testament being very different than how I was raised what I was told when I was a child and growing up and in college, you know, like as an adult even, um, is earth shattering. It's, um, I can't even really call it emotional. It's, it's like an earthquake or the ground under your feet is suddenly not there anymore and you're in free fall. Um, it's horrifying. I think, um, Perhaps the, you know, the length of time that I was in free fall, not really wanting to think about it, not really wanting to process it at all. Um, I was very nervous about this class. (laughs) And um, when I actually went into it and heard Brian talking about it, I actually felt better. Um, It wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, God is still God. Um, he is still with me. He, he loves me. Um, looking at the Old Testament did nothing to move that foundation underneath my feet. Um, it was all, it's all other stuff that I needed to work through. Thanks for that. David? Good morning. For me, the, the class was... It gave me a better understanding of religion. It, it, it helped me understand why we have so many different denominations and the struggles that people was going through, whether they wanted to or not. And it showed the, me the faith in God that they had, even though they didn't understand God, but they did the best they could under the circumstances that they were in. And I find that 
in today's society, we have a similar, but it's, it's, it's not as open as it is, as it was back then, because we had gone through so many different changes that we put so many blinders in where we, we can't see. And when we try to see, then people think we're crazy. But um, the Old Testament, it, I got to understand why Jesus said he didn't change. He, he, he come not to change, but to fulfill. And to get that understanding, you'd have to understand a little bit about the Old Testament. One of the things, so Brian is clearly outlining uh, how a scholar embraces and discusses the Bible. And the way they do it, I'll explain to you, is to put the Bible in conflict with itself. That's how they analyze it. It would be as if you wrote a book yourself and someone else wrote a book review. And what they're checking for is consistency and how this all fits together. And they leave nothing out and then they discuss it that way. Because if you don't, then there becomes no way for theologians to have a conversation. They are very talented, skilled theologians that were the originators of every denomination you've heard of and see. There was a very skilled theologian. But why did it shift? It is because of the academic study that took a turn. It's all on a scale. And yeah, that's true. And, you know, we have English Bibles. They're not Hebrew. They're not Paleo-Hebrew or Aramaic or any of those languages because we don't know those languages. But they've been translated into English over a long period of time with the help of scholars and translators who know a thing or two about the early context, the social situations, the political, geographical, and social um, surroundings, contexts for those, and that helps them translate. And even still, I, I think we get it wrong. There's debate. You would be surprised at the number of passages, even just in the New Testament, that we see as being fixed and like, oh yeah, that's what it says, we can be sure of that. But if you talk to New Testament scholars, there are dozens and dozens of passages, words, phrases that we really have no idea. We're, we're guessing in some ways about, educated guess, but guessing about what it actually, should, the way it should be rendered in English and what it actually means, right? So... That's all the background. So I don't want to leave you hanging because as Kathy said, when you first enter in some of these conversations, you feel as if the foundations under your feet have been shattered. You feel as if you are in a free fall and everything around you and everything you've been told for all of your life has somehow been broken. And now you're wondering without a compass, without a direction, without light, where to go next. And I want to pause you there. I want to ask you to do the same thing that was asked of Jesus or that Jesus asked the law studier, which we are supposed to be. We are studier of the Bible, so we are studiers of the law. And that is you need to, to develop within yourself 
and had, be able to articulate it to others. How do you read? Where and what is your foundation that you will now sift the entire Bible through? I'll share with you mine. Mine comes out of Luke as well. Different chapter, different verse. And Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus' response was? To love and honor the Lord your God. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything I read in the Bible goes through that filter. If I end up on the wrong side of heaven for that, I can live with that. What is your foundation? What is your filter? Because if you don't get that right, there are so many things within the Bible you either got to leave out or distort. It has to be distorted because there's so many things. The Bible interprets and tests itself. Scholars understand this. And unfortunately, too many times theologians have been asked us to do the same. And that is to test the word by the word. And it all goes through a filter. What is yours? So I want to pause for just well, a moment. Yeah, a quick comment about that. Um, maybe one of the only ways you can determine your own approach or how you read the scriptures is to start opening up to different viewpoints. Um, we don't hear a lot about an academic or scholarly approach because it's church. You know, we do a lot more. We approach the scriptures in a lot more pastoral capacity where we are helping to guide you through personal situations or giving you hope or you know, whatever it might be. A lot of our messages from the front here are geared toward giving you what you need to get through life. And certainly you can get that wisdom from the scriptures. But we don't often get a chance to be exposed to the contexts and backgrounds of how the Bible was put together, who wrote it, uh, what were the situations they were writing to, all of those things that you might learn in a graduate level class. But we don't often get an opportunity to hear those things as a congregation like ours. So before I wrap up my last five minutes, I want to give Pastor T a chance to say, how do you sift the word? And how do you pastor a group that could be going through the parts of the motion of filling in free fall? Pastor Tracy. Wow. I was just sitting there relaxing, Sorry. listening. I was not expecting a question. Um, ask me the question again, Pastor James. How do you pastor a group that you know you're introducing to them concepts that could put them in an emotional free fall, but you know it's the right place to put them? Yeah. First, I think it's a very tough uh, challenge to be in because as, as Brian has been saying, you know, this is what you go to seminary for is... The, the, the biggest shocker for me when I was in seminary was that there were so many different opinions. There were so many different theologies. There were so many different... Deni- it, my mind exploded. And 
what held me during seminary, and a lot of people had, had conflicts of faith. Like, they, they really had struggles. And what held me was Jesus. What held me was I know that um, there's going to be a lot of interpretation. There's going to be a lot of opinion, but what holds me is Jesus. And I land, James, where you land, and that's, you know, when the, the Pharisees went up to Jesus and said, you know, what's the most important thing in the law? And he said, the whole law is summed up with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So for me, that's my anchor, that's my value, and that's what I try to pass on, that, you know, even in being an expert, you're still not an expert. Even in thinking that we know it all, we still do not know. And P.S., by the way, we are not going to know until we go to the by and by. Until we cross over to the other side, we don't know. And so our whole walk and our whole journey is by faith. So my journey with others is anchor into Christ, anchor into love, and, and hold it loosely. Knowing that even in, in the most intelligent, phenomenal scholars on earth, there's still a part that they're missing. Thank you for that. Now, I have time for just a couple of questions if you guys have any questions about how to engage this topic. So we've pushed a lot at you, or at least we've dropped a grenade probably within your life. How does that grenade feel? How does the shrapnel hit you? So you're saying maybe Noah's Ark didn't really happen the way it's oh, Stop it, Brian. Stop it. Go there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> See? Now you got... Get, see, Brian, you got to stop. <laughs> I think what? it did. You know, two grenades are better than one. <laughs> That's what I always say. Oh, boy. Okay, we're going to have to preach strong the next couple of Sundays because uh, I'm seeing faces. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can I ask a question, Pastor James? Please. Who feels nervous by this conversation? <laughs> yeah, okay, there, right? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's okay. That is, that is okay. Yeah, and we're looking for voices. One of our other values, I guess, I don't know if it's a value or not, but over and over again you hear in this church, we like the multiple varieties of voices. And that's the way that you get to know, get into a conversation. It can't be one-sided. You need several sides to even get out the truth and decide for yourself how you're going to read the scriptures and pursue your relationship with God. So when you're taking the journey, can you give some tips of how you help yourself to reframe what you thought you knew and to be open to learning something new? Well, yeah, I can speak to that. Um, at some point, once, once I started into it, I was sort of happily going to just read outside what I normally read, uh, some other voices outside what I usually heard. And I remember, this is funny, way, way back when, when I was a dyed-in-the-wool evangelical, um, I came across an author named Bart Ehrman, 
and he's known in Christian circles as being kind of way off on an academic side, at least he was in those days, years ago, uh, in terms of debunking a lot of what evangelicals thought about the Bible. And I was afraid to read anything by Bart Ehrman. I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Um, now I've read most of his books, and the first part of that experience was, I didn't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just deciding to read outside and listen to things outside my normal uh, purview. Um, but then there was a point or a stretch where it did get to be a little bit shaky, like, what do I throw out? What do I keep? I don't know why I'm doing this. But my personality type uh, pursues truth, loves data, loves doing research. So in that sense, it propelled me further and further into it. And I reached a point where I said, you know, I don't want to hold on to a belief just because I'm comfortable and happy and want to believe that. I want to believe something because I can see a considerable enough amount of uh, support for that belief, of data that relates to that belief, of thing, evidence around me that points to that as likely being true. Now, there's, again, you can't know everything. Uh, science and research and data has a limit. Um, so that made me a little more comfortable. It also made me more comfortable to think, at the bottom of it all, if, uh, if God is there, Jesus is, is alive and doing what he does, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of me. He'll take care of the people around me. Uh, at the end of it all, you know, I'm, I'm on a path where I think I'm supposed to be. It feels right, uh, even though it's dangerous and difficult and it took a bit of courage to go there. Uh, I know it's, I'm not afraid of it coming out wrong or bad. Yeah, and I would add to that, uh, and anyone that's on this journey, to do it with someone, have the conversation, right, so, they can, so you can talk through the data and the emotion. Uh, most seminarians have a, a meltdown, absolute, complete meltdown. But what's helpful is you're around 70 other people having a meltdown. Right. <laughs> so you melt down together and then you start building each other back up. The second part is since you paid that very expensive bill, you're going to see it through. <laughs> right. So the other thing I would say is once you enter the journey. See it through. Don't get to this point of saying, oh, it's hard. Yes. It's difficult. Yes. See it through. I have to appreciate my wife because I talk about some of these things with her. And at one point she says, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> Go talk to somebody else. And that's really healthy, actually, to, to know who you can talk to and who you shouldn't. Uh, so I completely appreciate her for setting a boundary there and letting her take her own journey. It's not mine. It's, you know, she has her own to go on. You can tell me to stop if this doesn't apply, but um, stop now. <laughs> Give me just a minute. Um, this discussion brings back my journey in faith to coming to, to know Jesus as my personal Savior. And... When I was going through that journey, I was 33 in a women's Bible study. I went for 12 weeks to this Bible study and cried 
every single week. But I had 12 women surrounding me. And the challenge for me was my head because I needed to know intellectually. I was sitting on the fence for, a for the, all those weeks and even before that. I needed to know in my head what it was that brought me to this place of questioning. And I went to my pastor at that time, um, who was one of the co-pastors at Cornerstone, and said, what do I read? Because I knew he would be able to give me a book. And he gave me a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It is a book by a, a, a gentleman who wanted to test every tenet of the Christian faith and came himself to know Jesus as his personal savior. And it was that book that connected my heart, my head to my heart. And I took a leap of faith. It felt like going into an ocean that I had so much water to discover, but I had people surrounding me. And that was when I was 33, that was 34 years ago. Yes, 34. Jenna, could you say the name of the book again? Some people are trying to write it down. It's Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's, it's definitely an intellectual book, but that's what my mind, that's what my head needed. I needed to have that background. And it wasn't, you know, it's a, there's a couple thick books he wrote, but it, it was what I needed. And that was my intellectual pursuit that connected my head to my heart. And it was also, we were studying the book of Ephesians. And it was just toward the end of Ephesians that I, I, I professed my faith in Jesus and gave my heart. So I can really relate to what you're speaking about um, because I've walked that walk and I could walk it again, but I really appreciate this discussion. Speaking of books, Jenny, Jenna, um, there's a whole library of books over there on the other side of this wall that... Uh, I happen to also be our librarian. I've curated our library in such a way that there are a lot of books over there that if you like to read um, or if reading speaks to you, like for Jenna, um, go over there and have a look. Look at our shelves and see, because I've got a lot of good stuff over there. I want to add on to that, because what we talk about or what we've journeyed through, or as I read, or Brian reads, or Pastor James reads, we get those books and put them in the library. So if, you're, if you go into our library, you will see the journey of our theology in there. So um, I, I think we all have like our own, I guess, answer for this. And I, maybe I, I, I kind of do as well, but um, James, I feel like you and I like would, I guess, match up on this. Like I was raised the, um, as a pastor's kid. Um, Pentecostal Holiness Church, very fundamentalist, very prescriptive, very, it happened exactly like it says it happened. Um, and then I went and got, you know, three degrees and finished grad school. And, you know, in my dad's eyes, like, even though he's proud of me, like, intellectually, I am the enemy, you know, like, because I, I went and got too much education. Um, and so... You know, like, I think we all have, I guess, the spectrum, like, where we decide to, I guess, get off or get on at. But, like, for example, you know, Adam and Eve versus evolution. Um, the book of Joshua feels kind of like genocide. Um, you know, like, uh, Noah's Ark versus every major mythology has a flood myth. Like, all of the... 
you know, and I could keep going. And so, like, my question is, because um, I'm, because again, like, I feel like I could say what I think, but I'm curious, where do you, or how do you, I guess, um, balance that? Uh, leaving it up to, oh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is just poetic, maybe this is just literary, but also keeping space for, but I do want, you know, I do, I do believe in the divine and in the miraculous and that God can do anything, you know, because like you start unraveling and it feels like you can just keep unraveling. So I guess I'm wondering like, where yeah. do you make space for that versus how do you say yes, but I still think there's something you know, mysterious and divine and mystical and miraculous. And, like, I do believe that God could stop the sun if they wanted to, but I also believe that, like, astronomically, that'd be impossible. Like, what do we do with that? You know what I mean? So this is what I love about my my undergraduate and other studies that I've done in the sciences. Science is perceived or historically perceived as the enemy of religion and of theology. No, it is the hand-in-hand partner. Science has proven that some things are beyond current explanation. There is even, uh, what is it, not a gene, but there's, there's an element called the God element. Because they've done so much study and they get to this one point and go, that can't happen. Right. And there it is. Right? So all this technology, all of this stuff leads back to there's something more. And so what I, I don't stop and exclude, I actually start consuming even more. Because once you consume more, you figure out, yeah, miraculous does happen. Science keeps proving over and over and over and over again. Everything that philosophers say is wrong with religion has to be. Science does that. So that's how I approach it. I just I, I don't turn and stop studying. I turn and study more from other disciplines. That's that's my approach. Yeah. Can I add um, when we're talking about the pursuit of truth, which I think may be a part of that question. What's true? What's real? Uh, what can I trust about these sources of information that I have? Well, I think in a lot of ways, let's just leave the Bible out of it for a second. If you read a novel that you really enjoyed, it's pure fiction, maybe historical fiction, which is a fun genre to read and kind of insert yourself into the story. The question could be asked, is there truth there? Do I see something true about life, about myself? Does it bring something out that I didn't know about before or feel before? I'd say yes. A good work of fiction, which is a story about the human condition and about how another character relates to his or her world, that can be a source of truth for us as much as a book of nonfiction about frogs or, you know, weather or anything else. So when you read the Bible and you decide, well, I think Noah's Ark was probably a a fable, maybe based on a historical event in some way, but, but... the other side to that is there's truth there. There are things in there that add wisdom to our, to our experience here in the 21st century. I, I want to add to this. I have a little different take than Brian. I believe that Scripture 
in the past has been lifted up as an idol within religious circles. And they have set it next to Jesus. But I've heard it said that, you know, um, God became, that the word of God became flesh and grew a beard. So the word of God is Jesus. It's not the scripture. It's Jesus. So for me, everything gets sifted um, through Jesus as the word, capital W. But it also, the Bible has been set here, and I do believe it's a divine product. I believe it is, is God's best uh, way of being able to speak to us. I also believe in the extra biblical texts that that has also been a way that God has spoken. But the extra biblical texts that were rejected were rejected. They, they are the ones that hold the um, mystical within them. The ones that we have, the canonized version, these are more what I would label the intellectual. But the mystical ones were the ones that have been rejected by, by our early church fathers, by scholars. Okay, Doesn't now make you, you told me less. I was throwing Now, grenades. this is my role as <laughs> yeah. the moderator, is to somehow keep us... Uh, okay, get us let me just in. finish one but thing. It, I, we got one question. Okay. And then we're going to do a wrap... And send these people home to see football. Okay. All right. You shouldn't have given me the mic, James. Okay, but I'm going to say this. Because I'll land here. But I believe that the Bible speaks to as much about God as it does about humanity. So what that means is that when we see and they go, God said. And for me, I go... Did God say, or is that your interpretation of what you think God did? Which is why I, on an aside, have a struggle when people go, well, God told me. I'm like, did, did God tell you? Because we all land there a lot. Well, God told me, and then I'm going to go do that. Well, did God tell you? Anyway, so I believe it speaks to that. I believe that that's what the Bible, it speaks to humanity, and it speaks to God. And it speaks to how humanity interprets God. Okay. Last question. Tony. Interestingly enough, the uh, question was on the word became flesh and dwelt among us and how the opposite side of that intellectually we've taken, or I should say religious institutions have taken that word and kind of canonized it and doctrinized it. And my question is, as you do the study and you, you see yourself working through this stuff, how do you elevate what I would call the experiential grace of God that has bring us to a place of hope and trust versus the canonization of doctrine that creates an environment that necessarily thwarts that or may thwart that. Well, here's where I think when Jesus tells us that he will send us a comforter comes in. Because the word that is written, that is an experience of our life, is something that we deconstruct, right? We, we look at it, we read it, and we try to apply it to our life right now in a deconstructed way, which means someone else actually constructed our view. We, through our experience, now have to deconstruct that. 
with our experiences. And the spirit that was promised to us helps us to walk through that reality. Right, before, around, underneath, ahead of the book that we have, that's written human verbal language, we have other things. We have experiences of nature. We have experiences that those are the things that are being tried. People are trying to reduce those things, those experiences, to a way that can be communicated to others. Do we get it right all the time? Did the biblical writers get it exactly right? I, I don't know, but they tried. And their experiences are what we find in the pages of the Bible. And it's up to us to match those things to our own experience. That's why uh, here at Cornerstone, the big wheel of the tricycle is the experiential wheel, of the not scripture, not tradition. Uh, it, it's that. Because really, everything that we have, all the information we have about our relationship with God is, at its core, experience. Absolutely. So we and have. It's not a question. It's just a statement because I know some some people at the beginning said they might feel a little nervous or shaken. What I hear you all saying is, "Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I need to wrap. So this is why we do the classes. So in forty-five minutes, we try to take you through an entire experience of how to sift the Old Testament which is a, is a task. But here's my commercial. Take the classes when we offer them. They are enlightening. They are dependent on you because we, we have a ton of information, but we want to make sure it addresses the questions you have. I know if you take a class with me and Cass is there, Cass is going to give you some mind-blowing questions that then we all engage together. And I think, and we talk about this all the time, that is what church was meant to be. That we came together and tried to understand this magnificent thing called God. Right? Thank our our teacher, Brian, our pastor, Tracy. And I invite each and every one of you to take the class of Foundations 101, Old Testament. We have a few others that are about the Bible, and then we have some other classes just about life that'll be coming up when we get into these. Additionally, gathering room afterward, if this is just too much, meet us in the gathering room. We'll start the conversation there. I don't want to give any more grenades. All right. Breathe deep. Feel good? All right, come on, come on. You know, I, I love you all for your, for your attention and for your engagement. You know, uh, this is a different way. And hopefully you got something out of it, a different style of what we do within church. Have a great week. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kistler, and James Beatty, and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? Email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. 
Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. 